This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash. Hmm. You can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It's just different. Yeah. Welcome everybody to the bar. It's your guest host, David Knight from Exposit the Word, standing in for Dwayne. Different host, same show, insane top, top guests. So let's get to it because I am super excited to be coming through your speakers, your earbuds, wherever you are listening to the bar. And as always, we are grateful that you are listening and we love to start off the show by thanking you, the listeners, for tuning in and supporting the show. And just like we do every Tuesday, we bring you another awesome guest and this one is no different. Hello and welcome, David Gibson. Hi, David. Nice to be with you today. Nice to be with you, David. Thank you for taking the time. David, tell us everything we need to know about you in 60 seconds. 60 seconds. Well, I'm married to Angela. Uh, we live in Aberdeen in the northeast of Scotland. We have four children and I'm from Belfast originally, Northern Ireland. Uh, Angela is from London and somehow we ended up at the opposite end of the country from her family, right up in the northeast of Scotland. Four children born here. When we sat down last Saturday night to watch Ireland absolutely hammer Scotland in the Rugby World Cup, my two sons are supporting Scotland. And it's a terrible moment, you know. Um, so that's what you need to. I've got, um, I, I'm Irish, Angela's English. We've got Scottish children. I'm the pastor of Trinity Church in Aberdeen. I've been with this group of people about 20 years altogether. Um, since we moved here and yeah that's that's who I am that's what I do very good you might have to actually explain what rugby is for the the American <laughs> listeners it's basically a better version of American football right that's right it's American football played by harder men they just don't wear the pads yeah yeah that's right yeah very good David how and when did you become a Christian so I was really privileged and and I I feel this more and more the older I get with my own children 
<clears throat> really privileged to grow up in a Christian home with parents who who know and love the Lord, and they were missionaries in Tanzania and East Africa. So um, after I was born, we moved out there, and the first eight years of my life were with with my parents working with Math Mission Aviation Fellowship. So I don't really ever remember a time. I don't remember a time of not being exposed to Christian things. My own theology of conversion has changed a little bit since since I was converted in that the tradition I grew up in, mum and dad were very much hoping for each of their children to pray the sinner's prayer and ask Jesus into our hearts, which I think I probably did 15 or 20 times. I don't know. I don't know which one of them it was, or if it was even any one of them. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know when exactly. I think there's a couple of moments when I think maybe I could, I think, yeah, something was different from that point onwards, but um, I'm not a reformed Presbyterian pastor. It's not how we're bringing up our own children. I don't, I, I hope they don't ever remember a distinctive conversion moment, yeah. if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. So I would say I had the privileges of being a covenant child brought up in a covenant environment without ever using that language. Yeah. And when did you feel called to pastoral ministry? Um, I, I that, that's a good question because I think I I'm in pastoral ministry because I kept saying uh, I'm going to do a bit, little bit more Christian ministry, a little bit more training, a little bit more studying, and and once I've done that, then I'll go and become a, a school teacher. I always wanted to be a. a um, uh, a school teacher and it just never happened I just kept putting it off by doing a bit more ministry and a bit more of this and eventually a really good friend in a church we were in here in in Scotland said look just forget that other stuff you need to give yourself to this instead so it was it, it was really the calling of a local church that said we want you to do this we think you're we, we want to set you aside for it we think God is setting you aside for it it's not like I had a 20-year burning desire that I'm going to be a pastor. It was a sort of slow realization of, yeah, this is what I think I should do. Other people are telling me sort of things, and this is what I now want to do. So it, 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 it took a while. But but from the moment, I was about to say I've never looked back. I've never looked back in the sense that every minister I know on Sunday night wants to get another job, and I still <laughs> I still have that every week, but not not in the deep sense of... Uh, it, it's it's a calling and a vocation that is why I'm still here. Yeah, yeah. I understand that Sinclair Ferguson is a member of the church where you pastor. Of course, Sinclair is an excellent preacher himself as well as a gifted writer. David, how much extra pressure does it put on you having Sinclair sitting there staring back at you as you preach? Yeah, that, that, a, lot of, a lot of people have asked me that. Um, so I, it, it's true, David, isn't it, that... There's some the certain you know the Christian circles that we're in where people write books and speak at conferences and so on. That there are we tend to make certain people a big deal, or we think certain people are a big deal because of their well-known ministry. That's one thing, but it's true as well, isn't it? That there are people like that who we make a big deal, who they then themselves they think they're a big deal. And all I can say about Sinclair is that he's the exact opposite of that. If if anyone else thinks he's a big deal, he would say, well, that's your problem. I'm Sinclair. I'm an ordinary 
believer, the same as you. And it's probably one of the most defining things about him, I think, that he does he does not think he's a big deal. And having having him as part of the Trinity family, that's what he communicates, that he's a church member, the same as anyone else. Um I I you know, he 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 in his commentary in Ephesians he tells the story of Augustine's conversion where Augustine said to Ambrose, the Bishop of Milan, it wasn't your rhetoric. It wasn't your sermons that led me to Christ. It was your kindness. And I think that's the main thing I would say about Sinclair that he, he's just a, he's a, because he he doesn't think he's a big deal because he thinks he's a Christian first and foremost, and it, it's made him a profoundly kind man. So yeah. Um, it might sound strange, but I don't, I don't, I, to me, I know I'm preaching to a giant, but I don't also as well in the way I just think he's part of our church family. And I, I I know how he's hearing this. So yeah, yeah. does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Yes. That's very good. David, we're here to talk about an exciting new book that you have published with Crossway, The Lord of Psalm 23. Just introduce a book to us, David, and tell us why you wanted to write it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's just come out. Uh, I'm not sure if it's actually out in the UK yet. Um, it's out, available in the States. It'll be out in the UK at the end of October. Um, like like just about anything I've written, it's because of preaching, first and foremost. So I preached three sermons on Psalm 23, uh, January, one January a few years ago. And it's kind of the effect of that on me. There are some things when I preach, I think, oh, this this is really hitting home very deeply. And um, I want to write it up in some way. One of my good friends, you know, was laughing at me for writing a book in Psalm 23. He said that, yeah, we really need more books on Psalm 23, that oft neglected part of scripture. <laughs> um, so, yeah, whether it's needed or not, I don't know. Other people have to be the judge of that. But the, the, it, 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 there is a reason why that Psalm has meant so much to us, isn't there? And a chance to study it and preach on it. I just wanted to live in it a little bit longer. So in a way, writing a book on it was a chance to go even deeper than the sermons and just get to treasure this most beautiful part of scripture for a little bit longer. So it did me good, whether it, what it'll do for other people, I don't know. Well, I've heard, I've heard a lot of the um, endorsements for it, and it certainly uh, seems to have got off to a good start. Why is it so important to not skip past the significance of the shepherd's name in verse 1, that he is the Lord? Yeah, I, I that's something that I think I've hit on a little bit, that it, there's only a few people that I've know to, uh, read that, that focus on this. We all, we all know the opening words, the Lord is my shepherd, and what I... What I argue in the opening chapter is that we we've we all focus on shepherd and the shepherd imagery dominates the psalm. But the astonishing thing is that David says, "My shepherd is the Lord," and that name, the Lord, capital letters, God's personal name revealed to Moses, Yahweh, I, I am, I am that I am. I argue in the book that that the fact that that one is my shepherd is David Shepherd, my shepherd, your shepherd. That that should just make us. We shouldn't get any further than those first four words and think, "Hang on, hang on." You you mean 
that one that that god is my shepherd the god of the burning bush is my is mine he's going to care for me and look after me and th- that self-revelation of god that designation of the shepherd being the lord means that everything that is true about the self-existent eternally self-sufficient divine being who needs no one and whose own life is caused by no one imagine having a shepherd like that um that that's what i try and linger on a little bit and and there's, there's actually a lot of shepherding connections to the revelation of the divine name in exodus uh the the, the, the there are parts of the rest of the old testament where the, the, the way i would put it is that if you were to if you were to paint a picture of the exodus the way that the Bible paints the picture, the way the Bible puts the Exodus on Instagram is by describing God as a shepherd leading his people through the wilderness. And Moses and Aaron are the under shepherds. That's literally what the Psalms say, that he led his people through the wilderness like a flock. By the hand of yeah. Moses and Aaron, he guided them. Um, so there's a lot more going on in Psalm 23, I think, with the shepherding imagery than we often think there is. Yeah. Yeah, really good. And sometimes by it being so familiar can actually not be very helpful, right, David, because we can actually right. read past these things far too quickly, not to, to actually marinate in these truths, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So just how important is the shepherding imagery that we're given in Psalm 23? Yeah, so that's the other bit of it, although I think we need to pause at the first two words, the Lord. Yes. Obviously, the psalm then does go on to say, the Lord is my shepherd. And, of course, the psalm is couched. The psalm then is painted in shepherd images. The, the pastures, the water, the feeding, the resting, the leading, the rod, the staff. Um, so, in a way, you can't really, obviously, get, you know, if you if you preach a doctrinal sermon series on Psalm 23, on let's say union with christ or on the divine name which you could do but you don't you don't stop to feel the beauty of everything that a shepherd does for a sheep um so that the that then you've missed the point of psalm 23 that it's the beauty of the divine name and who god is but not in abstract dusty systematic theology which is where we often think all the stuff about divine simplicity and divine self-existence belongs. Psalm 23 takes all of that and says, now imagine that being the description of the person who's by your side every day of your life, who speaks to you every day, who feeds you, cares for you. Um, And what I think Psalm 23 does is it blends shepherding imagery with hosting imagery and really beautifully. So in the, in the, in the ancient Near East, shepherds and hosts were both meant to be entirely responsible for your care. If you were a shepherd, you took care of everything for your sheep. If you were a host, when the guest comes to your house, you took care of everything. And Psalm 23 says, let's put those both together and say that the Lord is both of those amazing pictures. Um, So it's a really beautiful, it's a really beautiful text, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Really, really good stuff. In your book, you make the point that everyone has shepherds. Tell us about that, David. Yeah, this is a this is a point I got just from um, a Bible teacher in England called Mike Kane, who's based in, in Bristol somewhere, I think, in Bristol in England. He has a lovely little book called Real Life Jesus. 
that is his series of evangelistic talks on John's gospel. And when he gets to John 10, talking about Jesus, the good shepherd, he, he just, I, I, got, I got all this from him. He just makes the point that it's it's very easy to think that shepherding is an ancient biblical picture. You know, there's yes, there are shepherds today, but we don't do it like them. And shepherding is remote from us. But Mike Cain makes the point, no, it's not at all that the the all of life is all about following somebody. We are always following someone. And today, the dominant shepherds are called YouTube and they're called Instagram and they're called TikTok. Um, that's who is shepherding our children. We, we might think we're shepherding, but actually they're following, you know, and, and think of the language in social media. How many followers do you have? Yeah. Somebody, Somebody's leading. Um, we, we are always being influenced, shaped, our lives are not we're not the independent captains of our soul that we think we are we're we're sheep we're following the people with the power the money the influence um and the 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 whole bible in psalm 23 says right let's let's put all those other influencers off to the side and think about the best possible influencer that you could have yeah yeah good really good David, what do you mean when you say Psalm 23 has become a funeral psalm, but in fact, it is really a psalm about life? Yeah, so in the book, in the book, I rely on a couple of other scholars who point out that um, a, a man called William Holiday, who's, who's shown that really Psalm 23 wasn't much used in funerals before the American Civil War. And it's only after that time and after the the arrival of the Enlightenment and the growth of sentimentality and religious language that didn't used to exist, that Psalm 23 has begun to be used at funerals because, in his words, it's really non-threatening. It doesn't talk about sin, doesn't talk about um, confrontation. God, you know, secular people like this Psalm, Jews as well as Christians identify with it. So it, it, Psalm 23 has this kind of... You know, you can imagine it, it belongs on Hallmark cards and soft focus photos. And um, there's all this world of comfort in it that we give to people at death because it talks about the valley of the shadow of death. But actually, that's the only verse that mentions death, isn't it? Verse four. Mm. Apart from that, you have the shepherd making me lie down, feeding me, guiding me. Um, and then verse five, preparing a table for me, oil, my cup overflows. He's leading me to his house. This is a psalm about not just about what you need as you come to die, but it's a psalm about what you most need as you come to live, as you walk this wilderness life between now and heaven. What is it that you most need for daily life and for living? And that the Sam is all about that. It has everything in it. Yeah. Yeah. Really good stuff. What's the most accurate way to understand the word want in verse one? Uh, yes. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Um, so if you don't mind me just referring to what I wrote, my wrote, what I wrote on it. Yeah. The, the, so we say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And if we're honest, we think, but hang on, I want, you know, I'm about to go on holiday. I can't wait to get, I want a holiday. I want food. I want relationship. We want things all the time. 
So what does it what does it mean to say I don't want? The best way to understand it is that actually the word want has come down to us from the King James version of the Bible, where in the in the Elizabethan age, the word want meant not so much to desire something as to lack something. So it, it's more like the phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be found wanting. Uh, in other words, I shall lack for nothing. And one Jewish rabbi's translation is that it means God will provide me with everything I need, or as a colleague of mine beautifully rendered it, the Lord is my shepherd. What more do I need? Um, whether I want certain things is almost beside the point. You might want them, but with the Lord as your shepherd, you do not need them. And with the Lord as your shepherd, you you have everything. It's it's the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, isn't it, isn't it saying that he's learned in all circumstances, whether in much or plenty, to be content? He, he, he has Christ, and he might have nothing, but he has everything. Yeah, it's very good. Very good. How does the psalm help us understand how every part of life is in God's wise and good hands? So one of the surprises, I think, in the psalm is, and and, and we, we, might, we can talk about this a little bit, I think that it, the, the valley of the, this is what, again, what I think I saw more clearly than I'd ever seen before, the valley of the shadow of death. It is one of the paths of righteousness in verse three. So every it's not that you have God leading me now beside the still waters and everything's rosy and he's cared for all my needs. But of course, there are these really awful things that happen over here that the poor shepherd has no control over and you've got to do it alone. Like, don't worry, once you get there, he'll look after you and be there. But it's not... (laughs) That's somehow separate from his care, but the psalm doesn't let us say that. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Next verse, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. So the, sh- the, sh- the shepherd doesn't leave the paths of righteousness when he takes us into the valley of the shadow of death. So that, I think that's what I mean by every single part, the highs, the lows, the mountaintops, the valleys, the feeding, the hungering the living, the dying, it's all in God's hands. Yeah, yeah. So, David, how does the psalm address the vast longing of a human heart for true rest? So I I think this is where, this is why, this is why the psalm has been, has become so universally popular. It's such a good question, David, you're asking, because there is just something about Psalm 23 that does do that. It does address the, human the longing for true rest mm-hmm. and it's almost it's such a the psalm does it so beautifully that it's actually quite hard to explain why it's doing that and why we're drawn to it so much what i what i try and argue in the in the book um which is a, a quote from a jewish a jewish scholar who says this he says god's world and i think this is the opening language of the 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 verses of the psalm verses one to three god's world decorated in blues and greens calms us gently bathing our eyes with quiet low intensity colors we spend so much of our lives in a man-made environment with artificial lighting and artificial cooling and heating we're surrounded by bright neon signs color television programs that when we get a day off we instinctively feel the need to find our way to god's world with its more restful palette 
so why do people go to lakes and beaches and mountains and for for holidays it, he, he he's arguing there's it's because there's something god has built the world in such a way that there's something restful about nature that our soul understands but what psalm 23 does is it says yes yeah, so that lovely holiday feeling that you have on a holiday or you want to be in the world out in god's world it's just a pale reflection of the longing that you have to be at perfect rest with God. There's a reason why when God made the world, it was a garden before it ever was meant to become a city. There's a reason why at the end of the book of the Bible in Revelation, city and garden are all melded together into one perfect cosmic reality. The dwelling of God will come down from heaven and everything that Eden was meant to be will now be even better and perfectly realized. And in that end time picture, there are gardens again, trees, rivers. Psalm 23 somehow just taps into all that and says, this is where we're heading. This is the way the world was meant to be. The reason you find it restful is because you would have found it restful if Adam and Eve hadn't fallen and they'd made the the world, the garden that it was always meant to be, that the Sam manages to tap into this yeah. deep sense that a world of f- fracture and brokenness is, is not, you know, no one chooses a holiday in a war. No one's choosing to go to Gaza and Palestine, Israel right now, are they? It's the opposite of what the human heart wants. Yeah. And the Sam manages to capture that and to say, this is what, what, what God gives us. Yeah. yeah. That's just magnificent, isn't it? So, so good. So helpful. Thank you. What does it mean that everything Jesus does for his sheep, he does for his namesake? Yeah. It's a little phrase. It's easy to lose, isn't it? You've got all the lovely imagery of what the, who the shepherd is, what the shepherd does. And right at the end of verse three, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I, I I think it's just a really important thing to reflect on that the the point of the shepherding is not for the sheep, but the point of the shepherding is for the shepherd's glory and the shepherd's fame. That everything about my life, all this amazing care, the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my host. Ah, I must be really, I must be be really something, you know, um, it's the different, you know, cat, cats and dogs, you know, the difference between cats and dogs that you do everything for, you do everything for the dog and the dog, you feed it, care for it, walk and the dog says, Oh, that's amazing. You, you must be God. You do all the same things for the cat and the cat says, Oh, that's amazing. I must be God. Um, right. and hu- human beings, I think we are innately cat-like that we think, we think we're something, we think we deserve things, we think, look what God is doing for me. And yet, if if as you see what the, the Lord, the shepherd does, you elevate yourself beyond being a, a creature, when you realize that what the Lord does for us is also sometimes to take us lower than we ever thought we could go, yeah. that the same Lord could ever lead us into the valley of the shadow of death where all I can see is darkness and I cannot see any way out of it. Unless unless we believe that the ultimate purpose of everything is for his name's sake, not my name's sake. You know, my, 
how, how can this life and what I experience often be for my name's sake? There's nothing about it that is helping my name. And actually, you learn from the psalm that the, the mountaintops, the valleys, every single bit in, in John's, John Piper's language, every single bit of it is for his fame, not yeah. my fame. Yeah. And it's yeah. a profoundly helpful, profoundly helpful thing that God has stapled the honor of his name to his people so closely that what happens to them will ultimately be for his glory, not, not our own glory. Yeah. And that's such an important message for us to receive, Dave, isn't it? I mean, you know, the, the volume of, of so-called Christianity in a Western world is man-centered. It's for prosperity gospel. It's all about us flourishing. It's all about man. Yeah. But that can be so dangerous, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. We've taken our eyes. I was doing some teaching on this the other day and was saying to students, you know, if we, if you advertise, let's say a Saturday night one-off talk or a, series or something for your church people and you said we're going to study the doctrine of god on saturday nights for six weeks or one off whatever or we're going to do six weeks on how to have a happy marriage which one would be most signed up for now it's not wrong to do the happy marriage bit that's just as much a part of the bible as anything else but our our appetite for god is weak and our appetite for what works and what makes my life better is strong isn't it yeah, yeah, so true. David, is there any significance of the psalmist's choice to use the word walk in verse four as opposed to run or to hurry, for example? So this is a this is something that I got from Charles Spurgeon that he he says uh, Spurgeon's Treasury of David is really worth lingering over for anybody working their way through the Psalms as a whole, but Psalm twenty three. Um, in particular, he just says it's in verse four, you need to linger over every single word. And he's brilliant at this. You know, he, 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 he even lingers on the even. Um, and one of the words that he lingers on is the walk. And in, in Spurgeon's kind of phrasing, it's, this isn't exactly what he says, but it's effectively what he says is what what kind of person in their right mind walks through the valley of the shadow of death? That, that's the bit we 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 get being you know he leads me beside still waters well that's not there's no rush there is there that's calm and gentle and we all take our time by the peaceful lake but when you go through the valley of the shadow of death you speed up you're looking over your shoulder you're checking your watch you're looking ahead how you know counting down the time on the clock but Spurgeon says now here's a sheep walking walking through the valley of the shadow of death what kind of person does that and he, he says the person that does it is the person who really knows and believes that the, the Lord is with him so that the child will run through the dark corridor to get the but if if mum or dad are with them they walk that the child sleeps in the house at night time because mum or dad are there and yeah. that's what the sense is in verse four that you know we're so used to the language or the valley of the shadow of death but to walk through it, and I and I say this in the book that my job is in being in pastoral ministry. There, there, there is no greater privilege than visiting someone who is dying, who knows where they're going, who knows the shepherd, and because of all of those things, is ready to die. I think it's, I think those are the sacred moments in pastoral ministry, being in the presence of somebody 
Andrew Peterson has a song about the Queen of Iowa that she, this woman that he knew was dying of cancer, but he says she was more alive than anybody else in the room. Yeah. And it's that kind of meeting sheep ready to meet there, not just accepting the end, but walking with the shepherd into the darkness is a, yeah. there are no words really to describe it. It's a profoundly beautiful yeah. thing. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. David, what does it mean that the Lord prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies? Well, one of the things I argue in the book is it's quite helpful for us that that is open-ended, that we don't actually know, and people, this is what commentators do, even on 6 verses, Psalm 3, a huge amount of ink on what David must have been referring to here. Um, and from academic commentators through to pub popular, there's, you know, the there's just a massive spectrum. And the short answer is, I think we don't actually know exactly what he was referring to. I, I personally think it's from Second Samuel when he's on the run from Absalom and soldiers, soldiers come and feed him in the wilderness just before battle. Um, I think that's most likely. But the fact that he doesn't say that help, helps us. Like Paul saying in Second Corinthians that he has a thorn in his flesh. Again, if if he'd said definitively this is his eyesight or this was something else, um we today would we would be able we wouldn't be as helped by the thorn in the flesh idea because unless you had exactly what Paul had, ah, uh, this isn't you can't you can't claim the same help. But the fact that we don't know is a really beautiful thing it just means there are some things that can nearly break you and yet in that moment god's grace is sufficient for you yeah and i think it's the same here that whatever it was that david was facing the, the meaning is that even at the moments of greatest human vulnerability and weakness and threat and danger and whatever that might be this is what it was for david but whatever it might be for me and for you in that very moment, the Lord does not abandon his people. And whether it is the world, the flesh, the devil against you, God, the, the shepherd is with you, even right there. And, and I argue in the book that we see the best examples of that in the ministry of the Lord Jesus, that there is a huge amount of tables being prepared in the presence of his enemies. <laughs> He, he the, the more he eats with the wrong kind of people, the more the cross looms closer yeah. and yeah. right through to the Passover meal. I mean, what an amazing table spread in the presence of his enemies, a friend who he, who, a friend who turns out to be a betrayer and Judas goes out into the night with clean feet and a full belly a murderous enemy and the Lord has spread a table before him. Um, yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Really helpful. Thank you. I know you've mentioned um, at the beginning of our interview that you've taken the time to preach through Psalm 23. David, I, I just wondered how important is it that the preacher makes a distinction between those listening that believe and those that do not? I, I think it's really important, and because you see this, it's, it's an awful thing. At and I, I take 
I've had to take several funerals of unbelieving folks where they want Psalm 23 read. And because the words are so known, they, they're, they're giving some kind of comfort to people, the comfort of nostalgia, the comfort of church memories, the comfort of something, but they do not know the shepherd. Yeah. They, they, they're not able to say the Lord is my shepherd. And again, I say this in the book that, you know, I, the job of the pastor, I think, in different forms, in different ways and in preaching is to say to people often, what, is he your shepherd and where where are you with this shepherd? Um, Psalm 23 is not as comforting as people think it is it, it, when you, of course it is, but it also has the challenge of well, if you want this one as your shepherd, are you happy to say that he leads you into valleys as much as yeah. this funeral that we're at today? Do we really believe this is the Lord's doing? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Oh, it's it's only believers that get that. It's only believers that that realize the funeral of the loved one is a time for reverent, mute awe that the Lord the Lord did this and yeah. Psalm 23 says that to us help and helps us with that. Yeah, so helpful. Thank you, David. David, we're going to take a very quick break before returning to hear you answer the free signature bar questions. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank <laughs> you. 
So, David, as you know, every single guest that comes onto the bar gets asked these three very important questions. Are you ready? Yeah. Question one. What kind of music do you listen to? Uh, I listen to the two opposite ends of the spectrum. So when I'm sitting in this lovely room that I don't know if people can see it or you can see I'm in a study, beautiful luxury man cave with all my books around me. Uh, I listen to all sorts of classical music. That's what I love having on all different types. I I run the park run on 5k run on Saturday mornings with one of my boys. I go to the gym and there, I'm just not going to tell you what I listen to. I listen to absolute rubbish. Um, so <laughs> pop music from the 90s that's what i listen to so yeah high, high, high brow and totally awful low brow that's what i listen to <laughs> very good next signature bar question what book or books are you currently reading um so you probably can't see them or, or this is only podcast people won't hear this up on my shelf behind me i've got uh, about to go on holiday for two weeks and i'm taking with me uh, samuel james's new book digital liturgies published by crossway i'm taking rosaria butterfield's new book five lies that christians believe or what's the title of it um five lies of our anti-christian age that's it um and I'm, I'm, we've got four teenage children. I'm taking Paul Tripp's book, Age of Opportunity, on uh, raising teenagers. So th those are, that's currently what I'm about to start reading. Yeah, very good. I'm and reading as yourself? well. I should mention as well, I saw that you had on your podcast, Jonathan Landry Cruz, uh, not yes. long ago on the, the, the Fruit of the Spirit, the character of Christ. Yeah. I'm reading that because we're, we're pre I'm preaching on the Fruit of the Spirit and I'm really loving that. That's a really lovely that's book. Excellent, isn't it? Yeah. Really. And last signature bar question, what podcasts or sermons do you listen to? Well, obviously, apart from Bar, which I, surely everybody says that, do they? Um, <laughs> they do. Yeah. I, li I, I listen to as much as I can, to be honest, probably the kind of things that many of your listeners listen to. Um, I've been in, enjoying um, Sinclair's recent podcast that he's been he's done with Ligonier, uh, like five minutes, five minutes a day. Um, I've been enjoying that. I listen to, I don't know, anybody and everything. John Piper, Don Carson. I listen to a lot of Kevin DeYoung at times. Um Alistair Begg, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, wonderful. All good men, all good men. Uh, David, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed speaking to you, really enjoyed reading your book as well. We're going to make sure that there's a link um, to that in the description. But I was going to ask you, actually, the sermons that you did on Psalm 23, are they on your church website? They're on our church website, and, there, and there's two forms of them. You can go to our Trinity YouTube channel. That's where you'll see them, and you'll see three sermons there on Psalm 23 that were the original sermons that led to the book. And then last summer, our denomination that I'm in, the International Presbyterian Church, we have a summer conference every year called Catalyst in Ealing in West London, and I gave three talks, three expositions there on Psalm 23, which are more of a blend of the original sermons and the book. And they're also on the YouTube channel, so you can get the same sermons in two different forms. Excellent. Well, I'm going to find the links for those and I'll make sure they're in the description wherever you're listening or watching this interview as well. David, before we let you go, please take a moment to let us know your closing thoughts and also let people know how they can follow you on social media. 
Well, thank you. It's been a real privilege. Dave. I've loved being able to talk to you. I'm really grateful for your interest in the book. Um, I, I, in terms of closing thoughts, all I'd want to do is commend Psalm 23 to people. If you find my book helpful, wonderful. But like I joked at the start, there are so many things out there. So find something good on Psalm 23 and marinate in it. Let it let it do its work in you and your heart and mind and you you will come to know and love christ better and more through it um what did, social media i yeah i'm i'm on twitter david n gibbo uh i'm on instagram find me say hello yeah yeah and i'll find the links to those and they'll be in the description below as well as well as the link to this book so make sure you check that out david thanks again enjoy your holiday tomorrow thank, thank you very you. much for your time enjoy thanks being so with much you for having me and to the bar listeners, thank you again for tuning in and make sure that you hit that subscribe button so that you can get the show every single Tuesday. And just like today, we have some top, top guests coming up that you do not want to miss out on. And remember to check out the bar podcast website where you can listen to Dwayne's huge archive of interviews, which will keep you nice and busy until next time to laugh for now. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.